All right, well, this little mini-series, not that it's a big you know, topic like trend-setting uh, type of uh, thing here, but it, it is an important topic. We're going to be looking at the topic of our speech, our tongue, okay? The topic of our tongue, what God has to say about our communication. And from an early age, I think you guys recall your parents teaching you to speak well. Remember those moments? Bar of soap in mouth, right? Our, uh, my family used dial soap. And I'll tell you, dial doesn't taste very good, okay, when I had it inserted in this little area here. And parents taught us from early age to, to discern good speech uh, from bad. And, you know, different homes, different rules. I, I had three brothers, and there were derogatory terms we were not permitted to use. Doofus, moron, dork face, right, idiot. Yep, I got the dial soap with those kind of words, derogatory words. Christy and I had family no-no words for our children. They weren't allowed to use the word hate, except for sin or for Satan. Oh, I hate these vegetables. Oh, discipline coming on, right? Only sin. They might think that's sinful in front of their plate, but no, it's sin or Satan. That's when you use hate. I remember that was stretched a little bit when our daughter was in middle school. If, you've been to a, if you went through Christian school, you'll understand some of these things that go on. And, and uh, in junior high, she had a good friend that scribbled, okay, in really big letters on the cover of her Bible, poop on Satan. That's what she had on there, like bold, right? King James Version, poop on Satan, and, uh, yeah, that hatred for Satan was coming out. And, of course, our daughter felt quite at home. This is what I'm allowed to hate, right? And my friends, too. And we didn't encourage those kind of bumper sticker statements on our kids' Bibles and our family. But, but I must say, I, I was thinking in my heart, you, you go, girl, right? That's, that's good stuff. I, I like that. I like it. Words. Words carry meaning. And... And if we think of a, about a, a, a brief theology of speech, very brief here, let's think about this. Communication and speech started with God. From the first pages of Scripture, we see God and the power of his words create something out of nothing when he said, let there be light. And then we see God revealing himself to man. He did not have to speak to us, but he did. He was committed to us. We were made in his image. And right from the beginning, he was committing us, uh, he was committed to us to make us more like his son, the perfect image, Jesus Christ, of God the Father. He was committed us, uh, committing himself to make us more like him. And then we see in the pages of Scripture, prophets and apostles revealing God's character and who he is, God speaking directly, and God speaking to us through the pages of Scripture. God truthfully communicates with his creation, doesn't he? And he reveals himself. He reveals his purposes. And God's speech has always been and always will be perfect, redemptive, holy words. But then we go in Genesis chapter 3, we see that speech was corrupted. It didn't take long, did it? 
And that crafty serpent, the father of all lies, said, did God really say? And we see right from the get-go, God's authority question. We see sinful words go out. We see Adam and Eve accepting those sinful words. And ever since that time, every man has been beset with the issue of speaking and propagating sinful words and speech. You've heard of the saying before, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What a lie, right? I mean, yeah, I can understand, uh, I won't be, you know, I won't be unsettled by these words, these bullies, you know, those dork-faced, doofus, moron words that are I'm always told on the playground, right? But, hey, truth be known, words hurt. They hurt hard. And we know that by experience, whether it's slander, lying, gossip, angry words, hateful words. You know, some of our greatest hurts and pains come from words that were spoken to us or words we've spoken sinfully ourselves. And yet we can so uh, not only speak sinfully, we can speak redemptively. Through the power of Jesus Christ and his work in making us more like him, as we learn to abide in Christ and mature in the Christian life, we can use our tongues for his glory. God is glorified when we present words of encouragement, we remind others of God's promises, or we ourselves receive a timely rebuke, redemptive words. And in those times, God is glorified uh, in those moments of good, righteous communication. So today, I want you to turn to a passage. Go to James chapter 3. You might know where this is going. <clears throat> James chapter 3. I'm going to call this the mothership passage in the New Testament for the expose on the sinful tongue. And what we're going to be looking at uh, today is in this first series of four truths about my tongue is my terrible tongue, my sinful, terrible tongue, my unredemptive tongue. Let me tell you something. This passage is not a flattering passage. This is not one of these get you up kind of thing. I'm ready to go. Now, it's going to lead there, right? But when we see what James has to see here, this is shock and awe stuff about our tongues. It's relentless, okay? And you will see James hammer the nail right on the head. And if you're like me, you're going to say, Amen. That first verse makes sense. And then James is going to hit that nail again. Boom. Oh, ow. Wow. He said something again I needed to know about my tongue. And then he's going to take the sledge out. And he's going to hit that nail again. He's going to hit it again. He's going to hit it again. And for pretty soon this two by four is all boogered up, right? And you're like, all right, I get it. <laughs> yeah, I need to be concerned about my tongue. It's a very big deal. And James goes to great lengths here to show the magnitude of our battle with sin that comes from our tongue. And I really believe here, as I've studied it and I've, I'm striving to apply it here myself and really understand the issues surrounding my sinful tongue, I believe James has gone to such great lengths because we are convinced, 
or we tell ourselves that our tongue's not a very big deal. They're just words. Why well, get all bent out of shape? If a swear word comes out here, words of murmuring or grumbling, yeah, my speech is imperfect, and we tend to excuse it. James isn't going to give you any excuses, okay? He is going to corner us and say, do not pamper your tongue. And the key thought for today, it's a little wordy, all right? But uh, I'll summarize it with a few brief words after I quote it here to, to you here. But here, here, here's the key thought. The battle with my sin and my striving to be Christ-like is advanced greatly when I understand and address the sinfulness and the power wielded by my own tongue. Let me put it another way. If you want to be Christ-like, you cannot leave out the tongue. If you want to grow in your sanctification, you must address your speech. You must be thinking about your communications. And as we see here, it's going to be revealing something far greater that we're dealing with in our sinful body that we're still in. We might be redeemed. We're, We're a child of God, and yet we're still in this body, and we fight the good fight of faith, to be more like Christ. And that must include your tongue. So with that, let's read James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. I'll read it. Follow along with me. It's an extended passage, so we'll have to make it a little quick through some of the areas here. But um, let's hear what James has to say. Verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Here's what we'll be looking at today. Our five warnings, James, five warnings from James about the terror of my tongue. Five warnings from James about the terror of my tongue. And it's all going to start here, what we see in verse 1. Reconsider becoming a teacher. 
What does he say there in verse 1? Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. This is insightful. Here we got the mothership of, of our sinful tongues in the New Testament, and he starts with teachers. He puts a restriction on the quantity of teachers in our churches. And it appears here that James, as he's addressing a number of churches here, that there were some aspiring to teach. And James uh, responds to this interest. The word for teacher here is like the same word used for master, rabbi. It indicates a recognized teacher. He's specifically here addressing teachers that instruct in gatherings of public worship with a heightened priority of those who speak on God's behalf, teachers who speak for the Lord, who speak his words. And it's an imperative command. Not many of you should become. These are addressing future, hypothetical teachers. Now, this may seem odd. Uh, Teachers are needed, aren't they? I mean, it's the truth that transforms people's lives. It is the word of God that is at work in believers that are submitted to him when they hear the word taught carefully and accurately. It's what the Spirit uses to make us more like Christ. It's the words of the gospel that transform people where faith, hearing the word, produces change in people's lives. We desperately need truth. Teachers are critical. Yet James raises a caution flag here. Rather than pressing on the accelerator for more teachers, he actually pumps the brakes. Whoa, whoa, whoa. let's slow down here. Now think about this. Other spiritual gifts don't have limitations, right? Not many of you should serve, right? Not many of you should be hospitable. Stop loving so many people, right? I mean, but teaching? You know, we always pass around the boundless clipboards, you know. Sign up for the fall festival. Sign up to do coffee, you know. Sign, sign up to serve for these things. But James says, don't pass around the clipboard for teachers. No. I mean, pass around, fill it all up. You can teach tomorrow, right here. You're signed up, go. He says, slow down. James's point here, okay, think, think about this, but James's point is not to turn away all new and true teachers, but to consider its seriousness, all right? It's serious. The Bible commends faithful teachers. We look at the passage here, 2 Timothy 2.15. You'll be familiar with that. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. You know, a teacher that gets in front of people, there's, there's, there's temptations for pride. We're in a position of dogmatically saying what God has to say, and it's very easy to express one's own opinions. It's very easy to take this opportunity to influence and take it in in a wrong direction, or just to speak inaccurately about God himself and what he has to say. And here says, if you're going to be a good teacher, it's for God's approval. It's not man's approval. I'm not up here to please you. A teacher's up here to approve of what God has said and what he has to say and approve and to have his approval over what is taught, rightly handling the word of truth. And he gives the reason here. 
Not many of you should become teachers, going back to verse 1, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. There's great potential to bring judgment on yourself and to lead your hearers astray when the word is not taught properly. You must rightly handle the word of truth. Speaking on behalf of God as a recognized teacher is scrutinized closely by God. And there's, here's a stricter accountability. Stricter accountability for the teacher who one day must stand before God and give an accounting. So this command is for the teacher's good or potential teacher's good and for the good of one's hearers. God has always put a premium on teachers. In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 18, we won't, we won't turn there, but Deuteronomy 18, verses 18 through 20, Moses, at the end of his ministry, is ready to pass on the mantle, and he speaks prophetically about a new prophet, one that will come. And he speaks of this future prophet being Jesus Christ himself. If you just want to, if you're taking notes, write down Acts 3.22. There's other passages as well where Peter speaks of the fulfillment of Jesus, the coming prophet. And this is Deuteronomy 18 through 20. It says, I will raise up for them a prophet, this is Moses, like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Again, speaking of Christ. And whoever will not listen to my words and, and that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Then he pivots to false prophets. Deuteronomy 18.20. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. Strict judgment for speaking accurately in God's place, for speaking his words and, and speaking it for other motives or on behalf of other gods, speaking falsely. Matthew 12, 36 takes it further. If We want to take some further application here about the importance of our words. Matthew 12, 36, I tell you, Jesus said, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Our words are important. We can be so careless, right? They're just words. We can minimize it. We can think it's not such a big deal. And God cares about careless words and will be judged for careless words. Now, we look at this when we're talking about official teachers in the church. I think that makes sense to us. We just don't do, uh, you know, kind of a, a volunteer effort to bring up teachers. We, there, there's some uh, importance here and a seriousness here in who should be proclaiming God's word before others. But we would, be, we would be foolish here not to consider how this command applies to anyone who has advice to give, a word to give, especially when they speak on behalf of God. Individuals who influence others through any number of mediums. You know, I have to talk about social media here, guys. They may not be spoken words all the time, but they're words, they're communication. The area of communication in social media is not off limits in the passage we're looking at today, and we must filter how we communicate through James chapter 3 today. 
It's very easy, as you well know, to self-appoint oneself, to start one's own platform, to broadcast yourself. It's praise. It's lifted up, right? And I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not talking like the devil's in the middle of every social media platform. But we're talking about the proper use of it here, guys. Whether it's Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, blogs, podcasts, any other medium. When there is advice and direction given in moral areas, speaking on behalf of God, James says, beware taking the mantle of expert, desiring to be the influencer. Beware pursuing the reputation as the answer guy. Hey, let's just throw this interpretation out there and see if it sticks, right, kind of thing. Winging it. And, you know, know, we get on the keyboard, you get on the smartphone, and we can start start zinging stuff out. And James says, be careful. Not Not many of you should be sharing advice, right? It's a caution. It's cautionary. Not that God can't use social media, not not that God can't use a godly influence. But James says, be careful here to take the position of influencer. We can so loosely and casually and quickly air our advice and opinions in the public world of social media. I'll tell you what, if James had a social media platform he kind of started, you know what, he'd have like, Three members, right? <laughs> he'd make no money. <laughs> He's like, no, don't go there. No, not you. You know, he'd be declining everybody from going in, right? He'd, he'd have a select group. He would say, this is important. Watch your speech. Watch how you communicate. Watch the content of your words. Watch your tone. Be careful. Every careless word will be judged, okay? There's lots of application there. There's a lot of things we could talk about. And unfortunately, I have time to talk all those through. So if you have more things you want to talk about, see Clay. And he'll let you know all about it, right? No, just kidding. <laughs> we will participate with uh, each other in helping you with that. But here, here's some advice. What if I do desire to teach? What do I do? How do I start? Where do I go? It's good and godly. We need godly teachers. We need women teaching men, uh, women. We need men who are, who are teaching in the church. And one verse we'll be looking at while we're thinking about these is Romans 15, 14. I, myself, am satisfied about you, my brothers, that yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. We are told and commanded and encouraged to instruct each other. And here's a commendation from Paul. So where do I go? Here's just some pastoral thoughts from Rich. First of all, realize God encourages good and godly teachers. It's not a no-no word. It's not a no-no thing to do unless you're not ready. God encourages it in various settings. We always see older women teaching younger women, right? Older men teaching younger men. And then these commands to instruct one another as well. Like in Colossians chapter 3, where the word of God dwells richly, and we encourage one another. We instruct and teach one another. Don't be in a hurry. You notice here in this passage, uh, you yourselves are full of goodness. There's maturity there right? There's a level of maturity. God's at work in, this, in these individuals, right? Filled with knowledge. There's an understanding of the word. I know what it has to say, what God means here. And there's a, an ability, an ability to teach. And that just doesn't come out of the womb. This is something where God is working in an individual's life in maturity, and now they're able to teach. 
commit to being a student and disciple of the Word, right? Man, if I'm not in the Word, if I'm not digging in it, if it's not something where I'm living it, breathing it, you know, you're not ready to teach. You have to know the Word of God to be able to instruct others with it. And this isn't, we're not talking theologian seminary degree, anyone that can be a teacher. We're talking about, but I'm word-driven. I'm word-thinking. Uh, and remember, this is more than just knowledge here. When you teach, you're sharing a life. What would it mean for me to be speaking about the tongue today, and you hear me swearing when I can't open my car up or it won't start, and, you know, I'm kicking the car, and, and, uh, and I'm blaming the mechanic down the street and gossiping about so-and-so and put it on social media, never go to this car shop, and, you know, it's kind of like, whoa, wow. Is God's word really true? It's not affecting that guy who spoke so forcefully about it. It's not just the words. It's a life you're sharing. Okay, So you've got to be committed, a disciple, a student. Immerse yourself with a local church. Have you heard that before here at Boundless? Ephesians chapter 4. Who prepares us for works of ministry? Your elders, your pastors, your shepherds. And those who will be prepared for works of ministry, teaching, are those that are prepared in part by your teachers, your pastors, your shepherds. Put off the desire for a public platform of influence. Don't go there. Don't go there. James says delay. Instead, instead, I'm, I'm, you know, this is in the context of young people I'm talking to here, right? Pursue growth now at being a faithful instrument of good and godly advice, and I would say at a more personal level. Let God use you to instruct other people. You hear something from the Word of God and today, and you hear someone they're just nasties coming out, right? And that's an opportunity, once you take the log out of your own eye, to see clearly the speck in their eye, right? Work on ministry with one another at, at a smaller level like this, which is biblical, and there's nothing second best about that. But learn to handle the Word of God at your level, on the battlefield of your life, with your roommate and with your family and, and with your, your coworkers, Right? Learn to handle the Word of God well there. And as you become a faithful steward with the little things, God gives you opportunities to grow to handle the bigger things, okay? Well, as we go here, James is now going to give us the ugly on the tongue, all right? So we saw the warning about reconsidering becoming a teacher, and now let's go through these next four points. Five warnings from James about the terror of my tongue, and the first one is this. Don't underestimate powerful influence of your little tongue. Verse 2, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his own body. Look at that there. We all stumble in many ways. So James is given the reason why many shouldn't become teachers. Man, you're a sinner. And there's a lot of ways you can sin. And this metaphor here, stumbling, it's a metaphor for sinning. We sin in many ways. We can relate to that, right? That makes sense. But look at the next statement there in verse 2. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. That perfect could mean perfect, able to bridle his own body. Yeah, if you have a perfect tongue, yeah, you must be perfect. But I believe it means more maturity here. Spiritual maturity the spiritually mature have greater control of their speech. Now, there's an amazing 
truth here. I want you to get this, all right? When you gain greater control of your tongue, James says, you'll have greater control of your entire body. The more disciplined you are with your speech, the greater discipline you'll have in your life. Those who sin less with the tongue will be those who sin less in other areas. Wow, really? Why is this? Well, James is using the tongue to represent a person's sinfulness or depravity. The tongue here, it's a, it's a personification of my fallenness, of my wickedness. The center stage of human depravity is exemplified by the mouth, one speech. You remember in, James, in, in Romans chapter 3, where Paul is speaking about sinful humanity, our fallenness. And right there, you see, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. We see the tongue at center stage of man's sinfulness, a man's reprobate nature. Your mouth is the spokesperson of your sin nature. And the tongue of sinful man puts on display your depravity in all its ugliness. Consider it like this. The mouth is the exhibit that communicates the state of the human condition. And our human condition is not good. We still live in a sinful body. And therefore, what comes out of the mouth is very important and has a propensity to sin. Luke 6.45, you just, we won't turn there. But you'll remember there, it says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Here's the principle. My mouth is the door to the contents of my heart. My speech opens the door to the closet within to disclose what's stored inside. You might want to ask yourself, what do I talk about? What do I, you know, what's my social media like? What, what is the flavor of that? What's the tone of what's going on? What's the content of my communication? And what is cherished and revered and important to me, what's in my heart, will invariably come out of my speech. The tongue is an instant expression of the heart. That's a statement from John MacArthur. I think he said it well. The tongue can sin so easily in almost any circumstance, and it's difficult to control and master because it's tied so closely to that heart. And James's point here, if you can control the tongue, you can control everything else. John MacArthur said it this way, Nowhere is the union of faith and works more visible than in your speech and my speech. What a thought. In fact, somebody said, every one of us is carrying around a concealed weapon. All we have to do is open our mouth, and it's unconcealed. It's true, isn't it? It's true. What's in the heart comes out. So to emphasize the importance of this principle, control the tongue, control the body, he gives two analogies. You look at verse 3 and 4. You know, bits in the mouths of horses so they obey us and we can guide their whole body as well. And verse 4, the ships, so large, driven by strong winds, and they're guided by a small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. And we're seeing here that the tongue is small but mighty, right? 
You think of a horse, massive, immensely strong, so small in comparison to the little bridle that goes in the mouth. And if you've ridden a horse before, you can see I can control that horse wherever, if I, as long as I know how to use the bridle <laughs> and the reins, I can take that big old animal and direct it where I want. The idea here is controlling something bigger than yourself with something that's seemingly so insignificant. Controlling your body with your tongue. A ship analogy. Looking at the ships also. Big, powerful. I'll show you a picture here. We took a vacation. That's my son looking into the horizon. Uh, we went on a vacation with my parents, my family, Lake Cumberland. Our youngest son uh, having a little bit of fun. We, we had the Gilligan's theme song uh, going. Uh, you know, once you get that going, don't, don't start it in your mind because you can't get it out. But we had, uh, my dad was the skipper, and uh, he's directing the pontoon boat on Lake Cumberland there in Kentucky. And, uh, you know, my dad now, he's, he's 86 years old. But boy, he could just turn that old wheel wherever he directed, and that rudder would direct it left or right. He could take that pontoon boat in circles if he wanted to just by the little old rudder. What's James' point? Focus on the tongue here. Don't forget the tongue. The tongue is showing you where your heart is. Control the tongue, control the body. It's influential. The tongue is influential. And therefore, it must be controlled. We need to make it righteous. And if you have control of your body, if you're maturing in your speech, you'll mature in other areas. Okay? Number three, five warnings from James about our terrible tongue. Don't miscalculate your tongue's ability to cause great harm. Look at verses five and six. <clears throat> so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness, the Tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Now, there's several descriptions here where, where James starts pounding this nail again and again and again. But he's going to describe here several things uh, that communicate the dangerous influence of the tongue, why we need to take our speech seriously. First one there, you can see, the first one you can see in verse 5, the start of verse 5, the tongue is deceptively powerful to create havoc. It says here, the tongue is a small member, but boasts of great things. See the, the contrast there. The tongue is small, and therefore it's often overlooked. And yet there is great potential for destruction through this small little instrument. Look at the rest of verse 5 there. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. Perhaps you've seen an out-of-control fire before. I remember as a young person, uh, we had a field behind our house, and kids were lighting off fireworks, and before you knew it, hey, there's smoke. You know the saying, where there's smoke, there's fire. And it was a dry part of the season. And, man, I ran in the house, told my mom to call the fire department. I ran out there with a shovel with my brother. And, man, we're, we're, we're shoveling stuff on top of this, this brush here that's on fire. And before I know it, the wind kicks up, and it started over there. And I'm running over there. And, I'm, and it's like, boom, 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 boom. And before I know it, the field's on fire. And it's taken over. And they are thankful the fire department came there, got that thing under control. But man, 
once it got going, it was powerful. And it couldn't be stopped. It started by this little old bottle rocket, this little old spark. The tongue is powerful, and great destruction can come from it. Seemingly insignificant words can be said so rashly, can't they? And they can result in such ruinous consequences. Reputations lost, relationships ruined, vengeful words that turn to hate, harm, even murder. The point here is great devastation comes from sinful, unchecked talk. So don't overlook its potential. Look at verse 6. Look how many times the word fire is used. Three more times. This metaphor to describe the tongue, to get this point across. A spark lights a small fire, it spreads, it grows, it destroys. And it's intense, it's hurtful. You see some passage here in Proverbs that also back up what James is saying. A, a worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. It hurts. It, 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 it brings devastation. It brings harm. Proverbs 26, 20, and 21 also. For lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. What a blessing it is when we have a fellowship where there's peace and unity. But boy, when there's backbiting, when there's improper words, when there's slander against people's reputations, when there's gossip that's going on, when there's questioning people's motives and conversation that kind of goes in the hypothetical, even couching it in prayer requests. You know, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Let's pray for them. Uh, you know, we can just light a fire that brings about destruction within the body and just leads to other sins and harm. Evil words, they fuel disunity, instigate fighting, promote unrighteousness, fuel distrust. And look at verse 6, and James just keeps hammering away. The tongue, he says here, is a world of unrighteousness, a world of iniquity. In other words, the tongue is a world of trouble. The evil of all the world is at the fingertips of your tongue. You ever think about that? All wickedness and sin ready to convey and communicate through the mouth. Think about it. I express the sin of hate through hurtful and unkind words about someone. I'm hating by what I say. Think about this. I'm engaged in sexual immorality by participating in coarse joking, sexual innuendos, sensual words. I commit the sin of revenge with biting comebacks, put down, slander. I sinfully fear man when I lie or use my words deceptively to present something that's not true in order to present myself in a better light. And what does this do? You see in the end of verse 6, it stains the whole body. It's like smoke that fills a room and just putrefies everything. It stains, it pollutes the hurtful effects. And it sets on fire, as it says in the latter part of verse 6, it sets on fire the entire course of life. All aspects of your life are affected by sinful speech. 
Someone could say in a rage, I will never forgive you for what you've done. And what happens? There's other sins that come along with it that back that up, right? Pride, unkindness, bitterness, unforgiveness, regret, a seared conscience, anxiety, maybe a a reliance on different substances to numb the pain of these words that I'm backing up with other sins. The entire course of life can be damaged when we don't control our tongue. A married guy makes, you have a married individual, he makes complimentary statements of another woman's appearance. And a world of unrighteousness can be unleashed. Motives, thoughts, communications, actions are set in motion by these very words. And words are oftentimes the genesis of, is the genesis of sexual sin, of adultery, and all the other lasting consequences that come from it. And look at the end of verse 6. It's set, our tongue is set on fire by hell. Satan himself and demonic forces, they, they, they are, they, they're the king arsonist here. They're the ones lighting the fires. They're the ones motivating us in our sin nature and the temptations of Satan. Man, we know Ephesians 6, right, when, when Clay took us through that, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We're talking about demonic forces, and we've got to ask ourselves, is my tongue being used for the Savior or for hell itself? Which, what, which one's controlling things here is what James is asking. And Stephen Cole summarized here. The point is clear. The tongue is a deadly, powerful source of evil that taints every part of our being. If we do not use our tongues with great caution, we are like spiritual arsonists, lighting careless fires that cause widespread destruction. Watch your tongue. It's a fire, all right? Okay, we got five minutes. Let's breeze through here. Two more points. My tongue is humanly untamable. What's going to say there? Mankind can tame any animal. Lion, you can get an elephant to sit down. I even got my dog to roll around, right? I mean, we're, we're really fulfilling the creation mandate. And in that, James gives us a, a, real, a real big piece of humble pie. You can tame all the creation, and you can't tame your own tongue. That little old thing in your mouth. You can do all these great things that God has really given us the opportunity to do, but you can't tame your tongue yourself. It's powerful. It's influential. And what James says here, it's untamable. Fifth, my tongue's hypocrisy highlights its brokenness. If you look there, verses 9 through 12, you'll see several inconsistencies, right? Blessing God, yet cursing man. You have a spring where you got fresh water coming out as it should, and then there's salt water there. Or a fig tree that's got figs and olives. That would be interesting to see. A grapevine, grapes, and there's another fruit. Look, figs as well. And what's James' point here? He's like, hey, there should not be this inconsistency. It speaks about the hypocritical nature of our hearts, right? That oh, so desperately want to do what's right, and in that struggle with sin, it, it, it comes out, right? It's the exhibit of our heart, our speech, our communication. And the bottom line is this. If you look at verse 10 there, 
these things ought not to be so. This is not the way it was meant to be. We're not to have uncontrolled tongues. And in the power of the Spirit and the work of Jesus Christ, we can gain control of our, uh, the sins of, that, that, that beset us, dominating sins of the tongue that just seems so easy to say, the destruction, the fires that we create. You know what? As you become more like the Lord Jesus Christ, as we conquer other sins, that includes the sins of the tongue as well. And James gives us particular attention here. Don't ignore the tongue because that will lead you to areas to focus on in your Christian life to become more like Christ and to mortify the sin in the flesh. As a believer in the Lord Jesus, I don't have to settle for speech that is sinful and wreaking havoc. I can develop a tongue that's righteous and more consistent and brings healing to others and not hurt for God's glory. Closing passage we'll look at. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 20. The benediction that the writer of Hebrews gave. Just look at this. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, look at this, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that, that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. What do we see here? We have the promise through Jesus Christ and the blood of the eternal covenant that we will be equipped for everything good. We will be equipped to say redemptive words, to have more godly communication, to be prepared to be teachers, true teachers that please God, that make us ready to be judged by God. Those are lofty things, and it is absolutely impossible in our own flesh. But for those who abide in Christ, for those that take these promises, you can grow in these areas. And this is what we'll be looking at the next few weeks. Next week, we're going to do a deep dive in the heart, because the tongue tattles on the heart. And we might be able to do triage at times, putting a Band-Aid, bar of soap, duct tape, whatever it takes to do speech therapy. But ultimately, if you don't go down to the heart, you're just going to be ripping that off all the time. That would really hurt with a beard. Um, when we get down to the heart, and then we'll be looking at other sins of the tongue in week three, and then we'll be looking into redemptive speech in week four. Looking forward to that. We're at our time limit. I'm going to let you go because we're going to pray in the service. So enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. And um, have a great Sunday.